my heart breaks for actors who are trying to get the nature of show business to change. It will break your heart and drive you crazy and leave you bitter and broke. That is Michael Kostroff, and I'm Lee Foster. You're listening to Action, the no-bullshit podcast dedicated to the pursuit of acting excellence. I've interviewed Michael a couple times in the past, but I wanted to get him back on the podcast to discuss his upcoming role in The Wizard of Lies, which is released on HBO this Friday, where he plays De Niro's brother. I wanted to know what he learned, what the experience was like, everything like that. So enjoy this episode. It's funny. I was just uh, I was just on a, a commercial uh, last week, and I was talking to this girl who was telling me how much she she doesn't like auditioning, and she had given up. Mm. She she had given up on. She wasn't going to auditions anymore. She had literally given up because she didn't like it so much. And um, I actually have two questions that I want to ask you about that. Yeah. One of them is just. I guess it's not a question, but I I was saying, yeah, I used to be like that. I I used to hate it. I used to really really hate it. Yeah, me and too. I, I don't hate it anymore. And part of that is because I've learned a lot of the stuff that you talk about, which is that it's not life or death. They're not out to get you. It's not no. nearly as big a deal as we just m- make it out to be. But the other thing is that I feel like I'm, be- I'm much better at them now. I'm much mm-hmm. better at them now than I used to be. And so part of it is that you're going in with some confidence. You know what I mean? Like, is, that, is, that, is that just because you've been doing it for a while and you have the volume behind you of having done a bunch of auditions? I'll tell you what. Uh, it's it's doing that and it's also this podcast. Mm. It's, oh, yeah. It's asking all these questions. I've done, I've done over 50 episodes. I've done something mm-hmm. like 55 episodes, in-depth conversations with people who are more experienced than me. Uh, and have been in it longer than me and have auditioned more than me. And I can ask them, what about this? Like what happens in this, what would you do in this specific situation? And then uh, over and over you hear the same answers. So it's not like they're all these different viewpoints. They're pretty much the same. Mm -hmm. They're pretty much the same answers. Um, I mean, to, to a degree, a lot of it is like, don't worry about it. They're not that big a deal. I've had really shitty auditions. You're going to have shitty oh, yeah. auditions. It doesn't yep. matter. You're going to get called back. It doesn't matter. You know what I mean? So a lot of it's that. And then being able to ask really specific uh, – like I think I asked you – I think I might have asked you on one of the last calls. I was like I was on this show and I and this happened. I fucked up in this way. Why did, like, why was that? And then you were able to say like, well, sometimes it's because of this, sometimes because of this, but you know, when they're on a dolly and you don't want, you don't want to start the scene. So I can, and then I know, you know what I mean? A lot of people don't have that, but they can download the podcast and it's all there. Which is great. Your your listeners are very appreciative. I've run into them and they're, people love the, love this podcast because it's, 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 you know, anything that demystifies something in this very confusing and mysterious business is, uh, is a service really. Yeah. I do want to ask you, uh, another thing that, that she said, the girl at the, at the commercial was that she had given up because she wasn't getting, she was getting these like bimbo roles. Mm -hmm. Getting auditions for bimbo roles. Right. And she thought, well, I'm not a bimbo. I'm smart and I'm intelligent and I'm creative and I have more to offer than just acting like a bimbo for two lines. Mm -hmm. And I understand where she's coming from and I've heard that from a lot of different people. But the way I see it is that's what you're going to get right now. And it brought me back to uh, uh, your workshop and when you Mm -hmm. brought up the line of people. Yeah. 
Can you explain? Do you know? Do you know which one I'm talking about? Yes, yes, I do. I do. Uh, I will. It's a typing exercise. I'll bring up five people, and each person will say their name and a color they like, and I will interview the rest of the class about these people. And I'll say, are they rich or poor? Are they from a big city or a small town? Do they like coffee or tea? Some of it's really completely random. I always like to find them an instrument. Does this person play cello? Does this person play piano? And what's really weird is. I'll say cello, piano, viola, no, 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 harp. Yes, the whole room decides that this person plays harp. Why, we don't know. But what's interesting is that, you know, we all have an essence and we, uh, we, we have certain things that people see us playing. I look like a lawyer. I didn't go to college. I play a lot of very expert people because that's what I look like. I think I can anticipate your question, but should I, should, uh, can I dive in on this? Go for about it. About this girl. So here's the thing. And, and you know me well enough to know I'm going to have four or five different answers for the same question. So here we go. And you can edit it, Will. Um, I think it is – now, bear with me because I'm going to give several sides to this. I think it's foolish to fight your type. I think that's a, a quick, speedy way to have no career. I think that if we're smart as actors, we view whatever it is we're projecting as an asset because if people want to hire us to play bimbos, those are jobs. So uh, uh, like I said, bear with me. I know some women are going, what, right now, but, I'm, but hear me out. I think it's foolish to fight your type because that's your A market. That's your way in. That said, I also think we're artists. And if that's not who you want to play, then either this isn't the business for you or – you can stand firm and hold out, and I'm not, I'm not convinced that won't work. Stand firm and hold out and say, I don't want to play bimbos. I'm going to hold out until I get called in for the rocket scientist or whatever. I think that's a, that's a tough road. But the other thing is to change your look. I, I always think about this girl uh, that I went out with when I was younger, and she looked like a Midwestern cheerleader. And she was not that kind of actress. She was like a Juliette Lewis, really interesting, left of center, dark. She loved dark stuff. And I said, you got to go brunette if you want to work. And she didn't. And she didn't work. <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, you can't get away from what you look like. Mm-hmm. Like, look, here's an example. I'm, a, I'm an R&B singer. I grew up on R&B. I will never get cast as an R&B singer because I don't look like an R&B singer. Not just because I'm white, because I'm overweight and 55 and bald. Nobody thinks that I sing R&B. It does, so it doesn't really have to do with who you are. I'm also a real sweetheart of a guy, and I play a lot of jerks. That's my market. I play horrible, as you know, you know, really bad people. So I, I think swimming upstream is never smart. My heart breaks for actors who are trying to get the nature of show business to change. It will break your heart and drive you crazy and leave you bitter and broke. So I, unfortunately, this girl, I think that could be her in. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I have every faith that, that the opportunities will present themselves for her to surprise people a lot. It'll go from bimbos to smart pretty girls, mm-hmm. you know, to, you know, the, the opportunities do come up. But, but I, I think it's really dumb to say I just, I, I shouldn't say dumb. I think it, is, it, it will lead to unemployment. We are not in the business of correcting society. We're in the business of reflecting it. I, I, I know a good number of black actors who don't want to play any stereotypes. And I'm, I'm saying I, I can understand not wanting a strict diet of stereotypes, but those stereotypical characters exist in real life too. Somebody once asked me, how do you feel about playing a greedy Jewish lawyer? And I said, aren't there greedy Jewish lawyers in the world? There are. So we have to tell all those stories. 
some people who play, who play nothing but villains are the nicest person you'll ever meet, and and some people who play stupid people are brilliant. That's not really a reflection on you. Mm-hmm. It is just that yes, you know, stereotypes are valuable in storytelling. So if this girl is blonde and built, and you know, has a, I don't know what her voice is like, but if she has sort of a fun bubbly voice, it's going to be hard to get cast as the history teacher. And if you if you get enough jobs, you get more opportunities. You do. You, you do. You, you have more credits. You just automatically get more auditions. Listen, I, I to more opportunities. I always go back to this after doing this for years and years and years, and really appreciating that I had a niche as a doctor and a lawyer. I did this role on Banshee. I'm sure I've told you about it. That was like so not in my zone. Nothing like what I do. I don't know how they cast me. I have no idea. They gave me a straight offer because they thought it'd be fun, and I played just nothing like what I play. And um, the opportunities do come up. They really do. The last time I spoke to you, uh, aside from the workshop, was uh, I think of uh, maybe a month before the workshop. What's been going on with you since then? Um, it's, I've been lucky. I, I continue to work a lot. I always feel I, I fear sounding obnoxious when I say that, but um, uh, but but I hope it's encouraging to people. Um, I have a recurring role on Luke Cage, which is coming back, um, and a recurring role on The Deuce, which is a new HBO series. I did a small part in Aaron Sorkin's first directing job, his, his directorial debut, which is a film called Molly's Game. Uh, with Jessica Chastain, and he's never directed before, so that was cool. He was great. Um, and I continue to do a lot of theater. I've, I just did my seventh production of The Producers, and, and I think it's my last because I'm, t- I'm really tired. Um, yeah, a lot of theater stuff. Uh, and then, you know, one of the things that keeps me sane uh, when I'm not working is I, 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 have, I coach, I teach, I write. I, you know, I've got all kinds of stuff going on. Um, and I'm directing more. I'm doing a little bit of, of theater directing, which is uh, really a joy. It's a lot of fun to be on the other side and watch what actors do. So when you uh, – I have a few questions, obviously. Uh, but do you have – you must have an understudy. <clears throat> excuse me. An understudy when you do theater. I'm not – I've never been much of a theater actor, so I don't completely understand the way it works. But how does it work with balancing a theater career and a TV and film career at the same time? Well, it's a good question, um, and here's here's the sh- the short answer: is that whatever you decide to do, you're going to miss something else. So uh, I don't have an understudy. It's I, I don't have that kind of deal. Uh, I, well, when I toured with Les Mis, like the big shows, I had an understudy, but it's not like I am contractually allowed to just say I'm going to go take this TV job. Um, there was one time I was working in a, in a regional theater, and I got that was when I got Banshee, huge TV job. And I went to the artistic director. I said, "Is there any way?" And he said, "We're going to work it out." And the director stepped in for me for a week, which was very kind. But I had to ask. So what happens is I go do these plays, and that's what I'm doing for that period. I have to be a little strategic because there are times of year when I'm more likely to get television work, and I tend to leave those clear. But in the summer, I always take theater work because there's nothing going on in TV for me. Mm-hmm. What about commercials? I don't think I've ever asked you about commercials. Do you do commercials? Have you done commercials? I've, I've done commercials. I have a very patient commercial agent because I'm always booking out for other TV for TV work or theater. And she, whenever I'm in town, whenever I'm available, I let them know, and I think they forget about me. I don't. I don't do a. I don't do a lot of commercials. I don't do a lot of commercials, but I I, I try to keep that going because obviously the money's great. Okay. So you also did The Wizard of Lies, which is an HBO movie, and you played uh, Robert De Niro, who plays Bernie Madoff's brother. 
Right. I want to ask you about anything that you've learned, anything that surprised you. I will not ask you what was it like to work with Robert De Niro because that is a stupid question. And I the can re- tell you. <laughs> one of the reasons why I started this podcast is because of questions like that. So I want to say what were some actionable things that you learned that will help other actors and any surprises? Any surprises? Yeah, you know, um, <clears throat> I'll preface this by saying that, you know, I'm, I like to be very candid about stuff uh, and, and very sort of naked about things because I think it's helpful for people to hear stuff that goes on. So I auditioned for this. I, I wasn't, I didn't really know a lot about it because there were two different Bernie Madoff movies going on at the same time. And I, you know, and I, I, I went and just read this scene I, uh, and then I got the job and then I said, so this is the Richard Dreyfus. And they went, no, you're playing De Niro's brother. And I went, Oh fuck. Okay. And it's an interesting role. Peter Madoff's an interesting, interesting character. Uh, it's not a huge role in the in the piece, but uh, so here's what happens. I got on the set, and I think listeners will understand this. I did not think, well, I must be a very good actor. I did not get on the set and think, well, look at me. I'm acting with De Niro. I'm probably really good. Exact opposite. You know, most of us suffer from terrible self-esteem. We think we're faking it. This was awful, awful for me. I usually manage my brain pretty well. This was not one of those days. I got really shy. I felt like the person who didn't belong there. There are all these great established actors, not just De Niro, but Lily Rabe, who's a big stage actress here, and, uh, and Michelle Pfeiffer, for God's sakes. And I just thought I couldn't control it. it, it was, I was spinning down into this well, and I was like, this is it. This is the day they're going to find out that I can't act. I, I'm, a, I'm not a highly trained actor. I'm going to be standing face-to-face with De Niro, who, and I, in my imagination, he could look right into me and go, you can't act. And again, I don't tend to be this neurotic. I've, I have a certain amount of confidence from having worked. But to this particular day, I couldn't stop it. I, I was really all dark, like a dark, ugly ball inside. And fortunately, I know, I know a safety net for a situation like this. And it's, it's what I talk about in my class when you're so nervous you can't get a hold of yourself or you get terrible news on the way to an audition or somebody just broke up with you and you have something that you can't shake. Sometimes the only choice you have left is to play the truth. And so I played every scene with De Niro with the subtext, I don't belong here. I shouldn't be here. This is awful. I shouldn't be in a scene with you. And I played that truth naked and raw, and I just used the dialogue in the scene to do it. Um, And I know from experience, nobody will know what I was really going through. They'll just know that I was being honest and telling the truth. Now, I ran into the actor who played his son. And he said, I saw, I saw the, 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 the rough cut. He said, you're really a standout in this, which is like, oh, God, I don't know how that happened because I, I was a mess. Um, now, it turns out that uh, yeah, you didn't ask, but I'm going to tell you, De Niro's very shy. He's very private. He's not intimidating, regular guy, but we stood there next to each other not talking which didn't help my state of mind. We just were <laughs> standing there in silence between takes. It was really weird. So it was, you know, it wasn't a fun, it wasn't a fun gig for me, but I was so glad that I had a technique to use for those times when you can't get your shit together. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you have any, um, idea besides the fact that there were all these established actors around? Do you think that maybe there was other things that and you don't you don't have to go any to, to any personal details, but a lot of times, like I'm somebody who deconstructs like moods and stuff, probably to, to a fault. Mm-hmm. And so 
I went into an audition um, a week ago. It was super easy. It was the dialogue couldn't have been easier, and I went in front of two people who I know well, um, the casting directors who booked out a number of things. Absolutely no reason for me to be nervous, and I got nervous. Yeah, I got so nervous that I I feel like I did very poorly. Like I left saying I didn't. Uh, I that, that was not a good audition. I didn't do well. Uh-huh. Whether or not I did or not, I don't know. I felt like I didn't do well, and so I don't know. I, I guess. I'm of the, listen, I'm. I, is that siren? Yeah, whatever. It's it's, all, it's New York. It's New York. Yeah, that's authentic New York sounds. Um, I, it seems to me, just from my own experience, like like it's like it's like a hidden tripwire. You never know when it's going to strike you that you go, oh, you just like fall off the edge and you're nervous for you know, And I, I don't feel like it's trackable or measurable or deconstructable. I think it has to be manageable. I think we have to go. All right, that's where I'm at today. Uh, okay, it sucks, but that's where I'm at. Um, I. You know, again, very candidly, I uh, I've never been the the most well adjusted guy. I mean, I you know I I, I take medication for depression and anxiety. I uh, some days I go I have a little little dip where I'm just in a black mood, and I, luckily intellectually I know it's not a real thing. It's just how I'm feeling. But sometimes w- once that wire is tripped, there's no going back. Even right. though even though there's lot even if you apply logic. I know that nobody's looking at me going, what's that guy doing on the set? He's terrible. I have too big of a resume for that. But the, once the wire was tripped, I was like, that's, I was in that room in my brain. I was just in, that's where I was. It's like, if I have a day where I just feel depressed, it takes a bit to shake it. And that's mm-hmm. all there is to it. So I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know why these things spike every once in a while. I think it's just like gremlins come and visit you. Yeah. You know, that's what know. it feels like. Yeah. Now, uh, now you see you like to track it and measure it and deconstruct. Do you have a theory about why some days you just go, huh, I'm nervous? I have done a lot of experiments. Um, I've done a lot of experiments with uh, meditation. Ah. And I don't mean like I meditate and then I go audition. I mean like I meditate for a tracked amount of time, for a tracked amount of days, predetermined, and I take notes. That's what I mean by like experimenting. And so – I'll tell you one thing that I won't bore you with any of the stuff that, that I don't think works. I'll tell you one thing, actually two things. Um, if you're prone to getting nervous before auditions, I would definitely experiment with not drinking caffeine on the day of the audition. Oh, that's smart. Smart. For me at least, and probably everyone's different, it is noticeably different. The um, and, and I also noticed through meditation that if I drink caffeine before I try to meditate, it's far harder to shut down the machinery, which mm-hmm. is a lot of the stuff that you want to shut down when you go into an audition room, right? Yeah. The other thing is if you ever are in just a, a foul mood, um, one thing to try, I'm not saying that this is the catch-all problem solver, but one thing to try is to hydrate yourself. If you just get in a bad mood for no reason at all, just in the mm-hmm. middle of the day and everything was great before and all of a sudden you just like don't feel good in your mind and body, try to hydrate yourself. That could help before auditions. It, it has a huge impact. I'm adding that to my class. <laughs> try it. Try it. I always advocate for, for breathing. You know, we don't do it. We don't breathe deeply. And when you do, it really cuts the nerves down. It really does. And I always get frustrated because I don't want it to be that simple. 
but it fucking works. It yeah. works. You, you take a deep breath and all of a sudden things are okay in the world. Totally. You know? I mean, as you know, I have a whole section in my class about you know different ways of, of sort of deconstructing the nerves. I, 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 I certainly don't usually experience nerves anymore. I have a good time. But yeah. uh, part of that is just sort of taking apart what's, what's true and what's not true, what's worth worrying about and what isn't worth worrying about. Mm-hmm. You know? I also feel like when people get nervous, they then get nervous about being nervous. Yeah. And I think that's why my, my, my safety net of going, okay, I'm really nervous. I'm just going to play the nerves is great because as opposed to thinking I'm nervous, therefore I'm fucked. Yeah. I got to, I got to stop being nervous. Oh no, I got to stop being nervous. And that, that never that works. Yeah. <laughs> then you get nervous about not getting nervous, about not being able to stop being nervous. Yeah. yeah. If, if you, you might as well lean into it if, if nothing else. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Lean into it. Yeah. So I want to talk to you about, um, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to put this into coherent words, so I'm just going to give it a shot. Um, I want to ask you about if you've ever had sort of a plateau in your career in terms of your desire to, to act, to be an actor, to be an actor, I guess I would say. Because I, I talk to a lot of people about this and take the girl at the, at the commercial. She didn't, decided she didn't like auditioning and she gave it up. She just didn't want to do it. Right, and and then there's other people who I, I try to see if you can answer the question of uh, the first thing I asked, which is just I think I know what you mean. Yeah, I, uh, I I don't I don't know that I've ever had that place where I I mean it hasn't been easy for me. I mean I I, I didn't start really working with any regularity until my late 30s, I'd say. So uh, you know. I was discouraged, but I don't think I had a, a plateau where I didn't want to act anymore. Hmm. Um, so I can't really address that because I don't think that's happened. Um, however, that said, I have what I call secretly quitting the business. This is <laughs> one of my weird, weird techniques. I've had times when I got really depressed and discouraged and felt – the way I describe it is it's like being in, a, in an abusive relationship where you keep expecting your partner to be kind to you and it keeps beating you, mm. you know, mm-hmm. and you keep making excuses for it. It's like the person says, well, you know, he only beats me when he's drunk and he's been going through a lot right now. You know? And sometimes that's what show business is treating you like. I believe – and I used to do this – I used to kid that I would quit the business twice a year. I just wouldn't tell anybody. Um, I've gone through periods where I went, okay – let me look at what it would look like to not be an actor. Let me find something else that would, would be interesting to me and start to learn about it and get to know it. And I'm not going to check my – I'm not going to be like sitting by the phone. I'm not going to be wondering where the auditions are. I'm not going to be hounding my agent. I'm just not – I'm going I'm to figure that it's over. And now what does my life look like? The value of that is that sometimes you get a, like a death grip on your career. You're like, I'm, you're like grr, clinging to it, trying to make something happen. It's dead at the at that moment, and you're and you're you're squeezing it too tight, and going okay, fuck it. I guess it's not working, and see see what else you could do in pursuing it. Reminds you that you're a whole person outside of your career, that you don't need somebody to hire you in order to validate your place on earth, and that's really valuable. Now, I'm not. I don't believe in magic, or, or you know, voodoo or mysticism or the secret. I don't believe in any of that. Mm-hmm. But it does seem like every time I've done that. Something has come along hmm. that kept kept me in the business, whether it's a, you know a little reading or something. It's not a way of getting a job. I'm just saying that we sometimes have to break up with our lover to you know to 
to have her, him or her appreciate us. Right. You, know? <laughs> you know what I mean? I love it. I completely know what you mean. I love that. Yeah. That's the closest I've come to, to, to really considering it. I've just kind of gone, well, what if it's going to never love me back? What am I going to do? What, what, what other job am I going to do? And so that gave you peace of mind as well. Because you were actually doing work and look, well, you were looking into other options. Yeah, and it's interesting. I mean, it's interesting. Like I looked into, into culinary school and what would that be like to become a chef? Mm-hmm. You know, what would it be like to go back to school, and become a therapist? You know, what, other things that interested me and uh, what are those opportunities like? And, um, but mostly it, it, it kind of took me out of the weak position of being completely stranded, helpless, waiting for somebody to rescue me. Right. Waiting right. for some phone call from an agent to rescue me. Right. Because right. that's a bad place to be. Right. It makes you it makes you mad at everybody, and it makes you feel like a loser, and it's just not good. No, yeah, that that makes so much sense. It's like any job where if you're not very uh, satisfied at a job, you should probably, you know, an office job, you should probably look for other jobs because then you at least have some power back. You yeah. know, you have peace of mind, you have power. You're not just subjected to your boss at all costs. And also life is short. Like I, I, I take a hard look at anything that makes me miserable. Mm-hmm. You know, and if, if, if the business is making you miserable, I, I don't think we should ever be scared to think about what else we could do. Uh, you know, sometimes acting gets like a cult. Mm-hmm. And people are like, you can't leave. No one leaves. Right. And it's like, no, you, no, you can leave and you can come back. It's, you know, it's, people are like, oh, they'll, they'll shut the door on you. No, it's not like that. You want to go 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 be a real estate person and come back in a few years? You could do that. Uh, so if it's if it's not if it's if it's being unkind to you, that's something to look at. The reason I'm asking is because um, I was talking to you before this call started about how I've I'm lucky and fortunate to be able to work consistently. Um, I, I don't make a ton of money, but I'm I'm able to work consistently and pay my bills and everything. Um, but it's not it's it's a lot of modeling and. Not juicy work, uh, hand modeling, hand commercials, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's great. I love it. Like anyone who's listening to this, do not take this as a sign that I don't want those jobs. I do want those jobs. Um, but it's kind of – I have been on the Chicago shows, the Chicago Fire, which is then Chicago PD, Chicago Justice, Chicago I'm starting to lose track of the, um, mm-hmm. and I can't be on any of those. Those are four mm-hmm. shows that are shooting in Chicago, and then I've been on um, Empire, which is another one, and then there's a few more that I that I can be on, and eventually I'll be able to get I'll be able to get auditions for the Chicago shows again. But uh, I don't know. I guess I'm I'm in Chicago, and I've decided that I don't want to. I don't think I'll ever move to New York, and I do not want to move to LA. Right. I just don't want to go there. I know LA very well, and I don't want to be there. I don't want to live there. And all my family lives there, and I love them. I'm very close with everybody, but I just don't like driving, and I don't want to be in L.A., and I love Chicago. And it's yeah. bringing me to this point where I'm realizing I may be getting uh, close to the glass ceiling of right. what this city can offer me. I mean, I, I can get more success, right? I, but I have a question. So here's my question. You, you're not a theater guy. You're not, you're not into theater. I've never done any theater because I started acting and modeling at the same time and I wanted to do theater and I started to audition for theater, but um, it was going to be unpaid. I immediately tried to go into making money. Okay. Let me tell you what I would tell most people in your situation and maybe it doesn't apply to you. I have learned that sometimes when I, when it feels like I'm craving career advancement, I'm really craving art. Mm. So, uh, what I have learned to do is say, is get some friends together and read a play 
you know, to feel like I'm doing something, as you said, what you didn't say meaty, you called, you said it was not juicy. juicy. Yeah. yeah. So in other words, we, we can assemble our, our actor lives a lot of ways. You could have one thing for income and, and get the juicy from someplace else. Sometimes what you're doing for income might be juicy, you know, and I've, between you and me, I've had both. I've had TV jobs where I was like, I love this character. And I've had TV jobs, I won't say which ones, that I'm like, this is, this is paycheck. I don't even like this. It's not even, not even good. And, um, but you can, you can feed the juicy part from other sources that you could do on your own. Like, you know, like I said, play, play readings, you know, people, people underestimate how much that does for you as an actor. It makes you feel, and, and, you, and you bring all that into your next audition. And it, it really, you got to water that garden. Mm-hmm. You know, for you, if, you know, if, if you don't like theater, theater's not your thing, then I think it's a really good idea to, to do a, a web series or, or something that, that, something that, that's your jam, something that you go, that's fun. Mm-hmm. I'm doing, I'm doing something right now just for fun that my wife encouraged me to do. I started a blog called the weekly curmudgeon because I, I like, I have a lot of rules and a lot of things I like to complain about and I, I and, and there's no wiggle room and I'm very, very staunch about it all. So I sort of created this character and I, and, and this is purely for me, my, like my, this is the writing project that is not a job. This is the writing project that's just for fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not career advancing. It's not anything. People don't have to follow it. They can follow it if they want, you know, and to do stuff like that, that's just your own creative voice, can make up the difference. And then you you find that you don't mind going to the money job, and you're more even more grateful for the money job because it's facilitating this this great other side of you. But I think we neglect it because we only think in terms of income. It's very it's a great trap we can fall into as artists and think, well, I, I only want to do stuff that pays. Well, maybe the stuff that pays is not the art, and maybe the, maybe you have to find the art elsewhere. Uh, that was you just- like that. I like that a lot. I think that's that's really what I needed to hear. It's that, it's sort of like getting alone with yourself and saying, "Okay, fuck everything else. What perks me? What turns me on? What do I go? That would be fun." Right, and I think maybe it could be other um, other forms of art as well. Um, yeah, whatever's your thing. Like a friend and I, there's a play that we love, and we were trying to figure out how to get it produced. And we finally went, you know, we don't know how to get a play produced. We're going to rent a space, invite our friends, and have a reading. Mm-hmm. And that was it. Mm-hmm. And everybody went, this was great. Where are you going with this? We went, nowhere. We just did it. And you know what? It was so fun. It was a great day. Yeah. Uh, so I, 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 I think we have to remember the play part. Yeah. That's fun. That's fun to do art and play. Not, right. we're not, there's a reason that we're not selling insurance. We're artists, you know? Yeah. Wow. I love that. All right. So Michael, um, I don't want to take too much of your time, but I, I do want to ask you about, um, I'm sure you're, you're used to so many people asking about your career, you know, what shows you've been on and and stuff like that. Yeah. What about the, what about the craft? Like Mm. whether or not you like that word, the skill of acting, like what, what have you been, where are you with that? How do you feel about that? And what have you been learning? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I, I, uh, I'm not a highly trained actor, and, and so I, but I'm always learning. Um, I do a lot of audition coaching these days, and that's been very educational, uh, watching what brings things to life. Uh, a big theme for me, and this is a great thing to remember in auditioning, too, is, is scrutiny. You know, when you're in a conversation with somebody, you are watching to see if what you're saying is landing. You know, uh, if, you're, if you're playing a detective, you're watching to see if the person is lying. You know, if you're the recipient of the information, if somebody is breaking up with you, you're 
looking at their face to see if they're kidding. And the, the scrutiny, and, and, and sometimes I think we forget to do this in, in auditions because we think the, re, the reader is not there for us or whatever, but, that, but this, I find, shakes off a lot of bullshit. You know, now I'm engaged in the real task of the character, uh, not trying to impress anyone or do good acting, but to figure out what's going on in the conversation, to see if I'm landing, to see if I'm, or to you know, to, to see if I can get answers from the other person's face, the other person's eyes. Uh, it's just a little, like a little golden trick that I'm I'm finding is really valuable in the work. Mm-hmm. And the other, I'm, I've come back to a really simple thing. A really simple thing of doing the task. You know, um, I, I coach a lot of people for very small TV parts, and those are hard to book because there's, you, you know, the story is not about you. It's very hard to just act like a person. And to just do the task of finding out if the person wants cream with their coffee or finding out, you know, if the seat is taken, uh, you know, or letting your boss know who's on the phone. And to be willing to just do the task and just go, I'm, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to walk into the room. I'm not going to audition. I'm not going to do anything else. I'm just going to find out if they want more coffee. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it's ver- these, are, these, things, these are techniques that are very freeing to me. Mm-hmm. And, and when in doubt in my work, obviously not just in auditioning, when in doubt in my work, I, I apply these techniques a lot of just sort of just doing the task of the scene. Finding out the information, giving the information, listening and paying attention and scrutinizing the other person to see what's coming from their side. Well, Michael, I think uh, I think that's a great place to end. Um, again, I suggest anybody and everyone who can go to your workshop when they can, when you come to their city or if they can go to L.A. or New York or uh, Chicago, if you hopefully come back here. Uh, you're in L.A. next uh, on the 6th of May. Is that right? Correct. Yep. May 6th. It's a Saturday. Um, I have a, a, a workshop there, which is, is kind of filling up fast. It's uh, early uh, in the process, and I think it's about half sold. Um, so, yes, uh, and people can sign up on the website, which you'll, I'm sure you'll list, and it's, uh, it's auditionpsych101.com. Um, I keep a separate list for every city. So if there are people in Chicago or in you know Boston or whatever, and you want to be on the list for that city for if and when I come in, you just uh, just sign up on the website and I'll put you on the right list. Well, great. Thanks. Thanks so much, Michael. Um, this is probably going to be cut out, but I'm really looking forward to seeing that um, the Wizard of Lies. Is that well, are, think- you, are you? <laughs> I am. I'm very curious. I think it's first of all, it's 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 a great script, and you know, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer and, and Robert De Niro are going to be brilliant in it. Uh, but I'm interested to see how my how my trick worked. So am I. I'm going to be like, I'm whoever I'm watching with. I'm going to be like, he was fucking miserable. <laughs> he was fucking miserable. If you like this podcast, do me a favor and go on iTunes and give me a rating or review or just tell a friend or just go outside and start screaming about it. Thanks. I'm Lee Foster. 